We've been worshiping the Lord through song and prayer and communion, remembering his death. Would you join me uh, by opening up the word of God with me? Turn to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'll be starting to read at verse 12 through 21 as we continue to worship the Lord by listening to him speak to us through his word. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 and reading through the end of the chapter. Peter writes to his friends, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We have ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are there and you have spoken. We pray this morning that you would open up our hearts to hear you speak truths that we need to be reminded of. Refresh us and encourage us through your word, through your truth today. For the honor and the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There is a God, and we're not him. <laughs> he has spoken. There's no one like him. He's transcendent. He's holy. He's set apart. And we get that mixed up sometimes, thinking that God's here for us instead of us being here for him. Isaiah put it this way, who has measured the water, waters in the hollow of his hand? Imagine God just taking the water that fills the Pacific Ocean and, with his hands and just kind of going, there you go. Or who's measured the heavens with the hand breadths of his hand? To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? I'm showing my Presbyterian roots this morning because now I'm going to quote from the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? First question. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. <laughs> and we twist that truth around thinking that God's here for our enjoyment. No, he made us so that we could share in his glories, but he's, we were made for his enjoyment, for his glory. And when we live for God, we find great joy and purpose in life then. 
we've declared a Grace Chapel, and you've declared as a congregation through the transition team, through the surveys that we took, that we believe we must be a Bible-centered church, that we need to focus on the Word of God, that it needs to guide and lead us. We value it as a congregation. And it's in God's Word that we find out how glorious God is. If we didn't have God's Word, we could not know God on a personal level. And through his word, we connect what we believe with living. And that's what we need to do as a congregation. We need to value it. We'll be students of God's word. God's truth, God gave us his truth to transform our thinking so we think differently, so we live differently, so we speak differently, so we play differently and work differently with people in our different sandboxes. Think about this. Think about all the people who God has made and who have lived through the ages. I can't imagine how many people that is. But think of all the saints, the people who have believed in God, have been made righteous, who have spoken and done things, good and bad. And think of all the wicked people who have lived through the ages and spoken things and said things good and bad, and done things good and bad. And, and what we have here in the Bible, in God's word, is what God decided that you and I needed to know so that we could live for God and glorify God. Here's what heaven treasures. And he wants us to know it, and he wants us to treasure it. So this sermon this morning is for me. And you just get to go along for the ride. To remind myself why God's word should be valued in my life, that I need to not only believe it, but begin to put it into practice and take God at his word so that his glory can be seen around the world. So it's essential that we stay rooted in God's word. There is a God and we're not him. That's kind of a joke, by the way, but we get that mixed up. There is a God and he's revealed himself. We believe that. That's a basic presupposition in the letter to, that was written to the Hebrews. The writer there reminded them that God in the past spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In chapter 11, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, at God's word, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In verse 6, it goes on of Hebrews 11, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So a basic presupposition, and every religion has them, every belief system has them, even an atheist or an evolutionist has a presupposition that they can't prove, but they just simply believe is true and they base their life on it. We believe as believers in God and Christ, Christians, that there is a God and that he's revealed himself to us. And if we're God-centered, then we're going to be God's word-centered. 
And if we're centered on God and then we're going to be centered on his word because this God has spoken and revealed himself in his word to us, then we're going to be Christ-centered because the word of God is really about Jesus Christ, about his salvation and redemption. He's the theme of the scriptures from beginning to end. So if we're going to be Christ-centered, then we're going to be kingdom-centered because we're going to be concerned about the things that Jesus taught us. You could put it another way, instead of kingdom-centered, we could say great commission-centered or making more and better disciples because that's what Jesus commanded us to do along with a lot of other things. So in our sermon series title, Your Kingdom Come, Cultivating uh, Kingdom Values, it's trying to give us a big picture of things. We're a part of something that's bigger than just Grace Chapel. We're a part of God's work in the world and being a part of that, we must value his word because it's true. Come, kingdom of God. Come, transform your church, Lord Jesus, so your kingdom is revealed, so others will see a, a taste, get a little picture of your glories, and come to know you through your people. What happens when you believe God's word? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that people were commended for believing God's word. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a, them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of their country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They believed God's promises. They had a kingdom view, and they lived their lives differently. They weren't perfect. That's so encouraging to me. They doubted God's word. Abraham lied, his son lied, Jacob was a conniver, a schemer. They weren't perfect people, but they believed God and God used them to show his glory and they received the kingdom. That's what happens when you get the big picture. That's what happens when we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God and how grand and glorious it is. We are going to love this word, we're going to search this word out because we know it's worth it. For the joy set before him. What did Jesus do for the joy set before him? He endured the cross. He despised its shame because he knew if he did his father's will and obeyed it, that something bigger and grander and glorious would happen. Many would come to faith and become sons and daughters of God and live forever to the glory of God. So he knew the suffering was worth it. We need that living word. You happen to be following along in my outline. If you're not, that's okay. At least you can follow along and know when I'm almost done. We need the living word of Jesus Christ himself to save us. He's the remedy for my heart. We've been fooled. Humanity has been deceived. We're blind to our need. We're sinful and we don't know it. Even the best religious people fall short of God's glory. 
That's why Isaiah said it, and Jesus repeated it. These people honor me with their lips. He was speaking of the Jewish people, but their hearts are far from me. How are we doing, followers of Christ? We honor him with our lips, but my heart is so far from him so often, isn't it? They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. That's Matthew 15, 8. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. Salvation is about walking in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one who took on our sins on himself on the cross so that we could be declared guiltless. That's an amazing truth. We celebrated it this morning. Rejoice in that truth. You're guilty. I'm pointing to Brian. He's my friend. I can do that. I'm guilty of many sins in my heart and my mind and with my hands and my words, my speech. And yet Jesus, through faith in him, declares each one who's believed in him as guiltless. That's the good news. Not only that, but through faith in him, we've received the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's presence, God the Spirit living in us, empowers us to value God's truth his presence gives me the desire to preach and to know and to teach and to understand and obey his truth. We got to be Bible centered because it's God's word to us. It's our roadmap to serve him well, to glorify him, to do what he wants us to do. It's essential. A lot of you here today are saying, I believe it. You don't need to convince me. But I know I need to convince us and remind us that we need to believe it more. Not to doubt it more, to follow it more, to obey it, to apply it more. So I just want to encourage us today by the second point. God's word is trustworthy. And we get back finally to our base uh, passage, 2 Second, Second Peter. Look at verse 16. How do we know the Bible is from God and not people? Well, Peter tells us it's from God. We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses. How do you prove the Bible's God's ideas and not people's ideas? Well, Peter assures us, number one, that he was an eyewitness, that his, his recordings, what he saw and what he's telling and teaching others is not something that's made up. This isn't a conspiracy. This isn't fake news. It's not lies. It's not trying to get political power or influence. These men died because of their message. They didn't gain anything, at least worldwide, from the world. They didn't make money on this. Peter's saying, I saw the glory of Jesus Christ. That glory that I saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, you can read about that in the Gospels and Matthew and Luke. 
uh, excuse me, Mark and Luke. We saw it, and it was an amazing experience, but you have something more sure, verse 19. You have the word of the prophets. They predicted this glory, that Jesus was going to return in glory, and I got to see a little bit of it. But you have the written word, which is more sure than my vision and experience. What do you do when somebody comes up to you and says, God told me, and then they say what God told them. Or God, here's, here's one that's even more scary in my mind. They come up to me, and I've had people do this. God told me to tell you that you should do this. And I smile and nod my head. But how do you know that God spoke to them? And I'm not saying God doesn't do that at times, that he doesn't use dreams and visions and other people who, are, who have been praying and thinking to speak into your life to tell God's truth to you. He does. But how do I know it's for sure? That's subjective. That's based on their experience and what they thought they saw or were told. Well, it's the word of God. And that's what Peter's saying here. We read it. I won't reread it now, but Peter said, we had this amazing experience. I saw Jesus in his glory. I heard the voice of God the Father speak and say, this is my beloved son. That was an amazing experience. You didn't have it, but you have something better than that. You have the word of God that's been written down, proved to be true again and again, prophecies fulfilled, you need nothing else. Now, again, I'm saying God can speak through other people and through visions and dreams. I'm sure he has and maybe he still does. But how do I know it wasn't the chocolate I ate or the pizza I had that made me have that dream? Well, I check it out by the word of God. That's the objective, the solid rock that doesn't change. The scriptures are more certain than experience and feelings. And why is that true? Verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Above all literally means know this first. If you don't get anything else, get this first, that the word of God is not made, did not come from men. It came from God. God is speaking to us through his words. The scripture can be trusted. God speaks. How does God speak? He speaks to us through nature. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I'm going to read it so it's accurate. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So God speaks in nature. It's there for all to see, and many people refuse to see it. But we, 
We know there's a God because it's there. Romans 1 tells us that, and we've turned our backs on that truth. Humanity has in general. And we can't know all about God, though, from nature. So God speaks through special revelation, we call it. He speaks through history. He speaks through the written word of God that he's guided to be uh, guided men to write. He's written, teaches us and speaks to us in our mind and our hearts through the Holy Spirit's presence. But that always matches up with the word of God that never changes here. God speaks to us through nature, revelation through nature and through his written word. God speaks to us through inspiration. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, familiar verses we read many times in church, all scripture, the Bible, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed. God breathed this word out. The Greek word here is the word we get pneumonia from. Or it's a whole idea of connected with breath. Same in the Hebrew language. The very life of God, he breathed it out. The breath of God, the spirit of God. Those words are used interchangeably in the Hebrew and the Greek for spirit and for breath. You can't say rock, that's uh, the Hebrew, without breathing out. You can't say pneumonia. I kind of, you got to breathe out. It's this breath, spirit. So God speaks through inspiration. He breathed out his word. It comes from the very heart of God, the very breath and life of God. It's amazing. I'm sorry, I was just having a moment of amazement to think that every word that's here, God thought was important. He was speaking from his heart to give me life, to give you life, to give you guidance, to give you purpose. How can I ignore this word? How can I read it and not think on it or meditate on it? Lord, forgive me for using it so casually and ignoring it. God speaks to us through regeneration. Do you realize we could not believe the word of God without the spirit of God helping us? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the man without the spirit, the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. So we must be born again. We must be born of the spirit of God. If he doesn't awaken my heart, I can't understand it. And then he helps illuminate or light up the word of God. He helps me to understand it, to first to receive it by giving me the ability to believe it, and then he enables me to understand it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? 
In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Are you a believer in Christ this morning? A follower of the way? Then you will be a student of Jesus' word because you are no disciple if you are not studying your master's teaching. You are no follower of his if you read it and ignore it. But God's word is trustworthy. He's spoken to us through nature. We know he's there. He's spoken us through his special revelation so that we could understand him better because nature doesn't tell us enough. The Bible is God-breathed. It came from his very life, from his heart, from who God is, its very essence. The Spirit of God gives us life. He regenerates us. He makes us born again so we can receive God's truth, so our spirit can receive it, and then he lights it up for us. Like Peter said, the Word of God is like a light in a dark place. You're going to see it. You're going to be attracted to it. You're going to chase after it. The Spirit says it's so. But there's just some rational proof, because I just wanted to mention this. God never bypasses the mind. This isn't a blind leap into the dark when we believe that God's word is the word of God. It's not a blind leap of faith. Faith is involved, the Spirit's involved in teaching us and telling us that's all good stuff, that's true, but there's rational proofs as well. You gotta believe God is there and that he's revealed himself and you're gonna be challenged by people who don't believe God is there and they look at the world a little differently than you and I do. They interpret things based on their beliefs that there is no God so everything fits together in their scheme without God but we know through the spirit of God and we see a different world, we see a different explanation and we're taught by the spirit of God if we are followers of Christ. So how do I know the word of God can be trustworthy? What are some observations that we have? Well, one thing is continuity. It's written over 1,400 years by 40 different authors or so. And it has one theme. The theme was born in Genesis and it follows through to the Revelation, it's like it grows, this seed of truth, and it blossoms, and, and, and it all comes true in Revelation. And, and no editor could have pulled that off unless it was God. Too many different writers, too many different years, too many different cultures, too many different time zones, too many different centuries. And there wasn't somebody in some back room figuring this all out and tying it together. They make movies about that stuff. There's continuity. There's prophecy that's fulfilled. Many of you know these things. Prophecies about things that would come true hundreds of years before they did. They can't be explained. So we try to change the dates. People who don't believe in God. So it's closer to the time it happened. Maybe you're familiar with the illustration Eight prophecies of Jesus. There were over 300 of them. 
400 of them, I believe, in Scripture. Of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. The chances of eight of them coming true are one times 10 to, with 17 zeros after it. That's a big number, okay? Just eight of them. The chances of one person fulfilling eight of them is 10 with 17 zeros after it. I don't get that, so here's the formula. Josh McDowell shares this in his book. Cover Texas, it's a pretty big state. Cover Texas with two feet deep of silver dollars. Okay, you got that? Can't picture that really, but think. Cover Havertown with two feet of silver dollars. But Texas, that's 10 times to the 17 zeros. And you mark one of those silver dollars with a red X. You stir them all up. You blindfold somebody and tell them to go find, pick up that silver dollar. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling eight of the prophecies about him. Just eight. And if you do 48, the number gets so crazy, it's 10 with 48 zeros after it, the odds of fulfilling it. See, it's just amazing. It's a God thing. So that confirms to us this continuity of the word of God, its story from Genesis to Revelation, so consistent. The prophecies fulfilled. It's preservation, how careful the Jews were. You know, they would, if they made a mistake, they didn't erase the mistake or white it out. They threw it away and they started over. From the beginning of the manuscript. Same with the monks. <laughs> Transformed lives. Jesus. What did he say about the word of God? If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is who he says he is, Son of God, Savior, Anointed One, Appointed One, Promised One, Redeemer, Lord of all, Creator of heavens and earth, all things made by him and for him. If that's who he is, here's what he said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. If you say you believe he is Lord and Christ, then you must believe his word and it'll be precious to you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We say the word of God is a core value of our congregation. We certainly study it a lot here and refer to it a lot. Do we believe it enough to live differently like the saints of Hebrews 11? You know, the issue really isn't God's word being powerful or trustworthy. It's a hard issue. My lack of obedience, my lack of trusting it or daring to share it with other people is a hard issue. There were two downhearted disciples walking down from Jerusalem to a village of Emmaus three days after Jesus had been crucified and buried. And they had hoped that he was the Christ. 
And there were stories swirling around that Jesus was alive, that the tomb was empty, but they were having none of it. Their doubts <laughs> were crowding out any belief that it was true. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? He just reminded them, kind of rerouted them in the truth of his word. Here's what he said. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with, the pro with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Rooted in the word of God. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I ask you today to breathe your life into our souls so we are so filled with belief in you and your word. Use it to strengthen us so that without reservation we will live it, we will follow it, we will obey it, we will study it, we will tell it, we will share it. We ask this, Lord, that you would work in us, your people, so that others will see the glories of your kingdom and join us in the glories and all that awaits us. Amen. Let me close with this word of thought. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Go and be rooted in God's word. Blessings on you all. Amen. I invite you forward, too, for prayer. I forgot to mention that before I prayed. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, our prayer team would be glad to pray with you.